Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Daniel Hill. Daniel's passion and purpose in life is assisting clients through the use of EFT, NLP, life coaching, clinical hypnotherapy, and Enneagram mentoring. Daniel teaches how to break through your own unconscious limitations and how to overcome your fears. When this is accomplished, it helps release past sadness, hurts, pass guilt, conquer shame, and dissolve anger, and much, much more. Daniel helps one master their psychology and emotional well-being of their inner world, which eventually changes their outer world. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Daniel. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Thanks, Dwight. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming on. Just so you know, um, listeners, Daniel is, where exactly are you in the UK? Uh, I often tell clients um, abroad, uh, the home of Led Zeppelin. So I live... I you know, so it makes an instant impact. Um, Robert Plant, the ex-lead singer, lives about five miles north of me. And John Bonham, who died in 1980, the drummer, yeah. is yeah. buried five miles south of me. So it's a small town called Kidderminster in North Worcestershire, which is about 20 miles southwest of Birmingham. So I live in the heart of England, but really the home of Led Zeppelin. Sweet. Well, we just got a higher level of respect for you, <laughs> at least me, because I'm, you know, I, I do remember Led Zeppelin. I have listeners that are 18 years old that wouldn't necessarily know unless their parents introduced them to, but there's enough listeners that yeah. would appreciate that. So Daniel, one of the things that I focus on, because I honestly believe with all my heart that it is so important that we focus not just on the back end of, of what Daniel has accomplished, and when that started, your origin from when little wee Daniel, your earliest recollections to where you are today, decisions that were made for you, the patterns that were taught to you, made right. you made decisions throughout your youth into adulthood to where you're at. And I think everybody connects better through that vulnerability when people can share. So can you do me a favor and tell me the key things from your childhood to adulthood that led you to where you're at currently? Key things, uh, I, was, I was brought up in a dysfunctional home. Um, my parents came from dysfunction. Uh, as a therapist, coach and mentor, I could say that that's true, uh, but majority of us do. Uh, I'd say from 16 years experience, uh, two and a half um, hundred clients, um, two and a half thousand clients, I should say, and um, um, about 30,000 clinic hours, we all come from some dysfunction. So. 
I didn't realize how dysfunctional it was until I started counseling when I was 24. Um, and a number of things happened in my childhood in as much as um, I've worked out really what kids need in order to function in life where we sort of dysfunction and function. It's when a child feels very safe, when they feel very loved and when they can express themselves how many of us really felt truly loved all the way through our childhood and truly safe all the way through our childhood. And then we were able to express ourselves. So that comes from parenting. And sometimes I see it excellently done and sometimes most often not. And our parents are doing the best with the resources that they have because they came from dysfunction too. They came from backgrounds where they had limitation. Their parents weren't highly evolved beings who were uh, had no fear or, um, uh, you know, didn't have any major issues. Um, so that was that was something that was really tough for me to get through. And um, I spent my life being afraid of my father. Couldn't look at him in the eye until he was terminally ill when he was 27. Respected him. Uh, but he made me quite fearful of the world. There's two things that we download in um, childhood um, which can either hinder us or make us and those are we either have um, great beliefs about ourselves and the world when I say great beliefs about yourself I'm not saying that those are um, uh, there's a difference between arrogance and confidence um, but that those are those can be with most of us limiting so we end up having limitations about ourselves and limitations which we generalize and then we have limitations about the world per se so stuff that happened were like my my elder brother uh really conflicted with my father they were both control types in nature um and there was a big big conflict my dad didn't know how to deal with his son we would know differently now my older brother probably had adhd uh, my father tried to beat it out of him um and of course that just only made it worse and i witnessed that i wasn't necessarily on the receiving end of it but i witnessed that at the age of 16 i, I was an incredible athlete i was very lucky i was very athletic but by the age of 16, um, I'd got to the point of having almost an England vest. So I was almost running for my country. Um, I was county champion um, for many, many years. Um, but all of a sudden I got um, a glandular fever uh, and that the Epstein-Barr virus, which became glandular fever. And then that never fully went away. And 16, 17, 18, whenever I would train or push myself, I would get a fever or my glands would come up and I, I just, I was finding life harder to deal with. Um, eventually that got diagnosed as ME or chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, and I started to have all different types of autoimmune disease that went along with that. And life just was a struggle. I was struggling to integrate and find a job and there was something not right, something clearly just not quite right. Um, and I journeyed further into alternative, well, after I tried to do um, conventional medicine and that having no answers, I went completely alternative and saw about 50 practitioners over the course of uh, 14 years until the age of 30. Uh, by the age of 30, I'd, I'd become self-employed. I was that kind of 
sick that no one would employ me. So I employed me. I became self-employed. And I came from a background of um, people who um, had, um, well, my, my grandfather was, both grandfathers were self-employed. My father was self-employed. So it was in the consciousness, Dwight and I talked about before we started the session about consciousness. And so that was something that was a benefit that I wasn't afraid of becoming self-employed and became self-employed. And I've been self-employed ever since. I have held down full-time jobs, but only for a short time, just wasn't in my consciousness. So um, that was impactive. But at the age of 30, I got um, a virus or bacteria or something and my body massively overreacted. And 30 years old, I was hospitalized, paralyzed down the left-hand side of my body uh, with lots of autoimmune disease. Um, basically, my unconscious mind had overreacted to whatever bacterial or virus I had. And it kind of does... Um, almost like a, a spread bet of trying to get you better. So it will, it'll focus in on the bacteria or the virus, but it, it, and it and attacks that, but then it's so discombobulated in its um, thinking that it'll attack part of the, the you as well. So I developed arthritis overnight, never had arthritis, and suddenly my left knee was twice the size. I couldn't really speak because it was in my jaw. My hands were like claws. My, my feet were uh, all seized up as well. Um, and I got a little better by being in hospital for a month, but I knew something really was not quite right. And then three months, three to four months after coming out from hospital, I decided I didn't want to live anymore. And I'd had terrible um, depression that went along with the uh, autoimmune disease and anxiety as well. And I took a step of attempting to leave this planet. I took 16 sleeping tablets that I'd saved up in hospital, which I didn't tell anybody about. And I took that with three quarters of bottle of spirits. And after about half an hour, something in my mind or outside of my mind even just spoke to me and said, you haven't done everything yet. And it was a different consciousness to anything else I've ever heard before. It was, um, religious people have said it was the voice of God. Um, I'm very spiritual, so I would say that I would agree with that, but I'm more spiritual than religious, so I would say it was a high, my higher self, or it was some connection to an intelligence beyond my intelligence. And it was something that was benevolent. It was something that was very um, certain and assured and... I'm fortunate to this day that that voice came in because it made me stick my fingers down my throat and no pills came up, but I, uh, I woke 20 hours later. It was nine o'clock on a, can't remember now. Uh, I think it was a Monday night and it was Monday night and it was Tuesday afternoon at 5 PM. I woke up and um, I just thought I was really lucky the fact that um, I managed to wake up and that that was a close call. And I did resolve then, well, I've, I haven't done everything yet. So I need to look, take the blinkers off. Okay, you've seen 50 practitioners and you've done everything, but you haven't done everything. And I started to really think, well, life is a gift and life is a blessing. And I need to keep um, turning stones over because I need to get an answer. There's got to be an answer. And I've got to get a better life. I have to heal myself. I have to, um, I, there must be more to life than just this. 
And um, from that moment on, it's not to say that I never uh, had depression again. Um, and I didn't have, uh, that not, it's not that I never had those thoughts again, but nothing ever to that degree. And I realized that what was blocking me was fear and my conditioning. And so I had to keep attempting to face that conditioning, that very, what I call limited belief conditioning, which comes from dysfunctional childhoods, that we grow up to believe that our world is going to be like this and people are like that. And with our own conditioning that we believe about ourselves, then we are limited um, in our capability, where the reality is that we are limited by nothing then the, uh, the only thing is the unconscious mind. And so uh, from then I explored further and deeper into how people can heal and how people can um, uh, get a better life. And one of those things was changing your core beliefs and through changing your core, the inner being, the outer changes and the real the, the reality that the outer is so poor is because the inner is so poor so what we tem attempt to do or most of the world does is make the outer better to make the inner feel better but what we have to do is make the inner feel better and then the outer paradoxically takes care of itself we have to find peace within we have to find love within we have to find serenity within we have to find um, contentment within. We have to find strength within. All these things that um, we often think that we don't have that actually we do, it's just underneath a sea of ego wanting or trauma, fear, conditioning. And the more I started doing that with myself, the better that my life became. And then I started to train in all of this. I became a client first and then I was so passionate about making these shifts that uh, I had a deep need and wish in my heart to make that better for other people and I originally started doing it for free and then very low money and then I was you know I was doing it in my evenings while I was doing the other job that was making money uh, paying the mortgage and all the rest of it and then eventually I was able to shift and go to the full time and I've grown with this and from now I've seen you know let's say uh, 2,500 plus clients over that time people of all demographic I've seen people who are homeless to some people who are worth 20 million and it's I've had no real niche my nature is to learn and observe and to get as much knowledge as possible that's the have a deep thirst for understanding and so I never really had a niche what I used to say was that I help people to feel better work better and live better and that would attract all different types of people. And um, really now the people who come and see me are people who followed either me on YouTube, I've just joined TikTok, they've maybe followed me on Facebook, maybe some on LinkedIn, uh, and another through word of mouth, just through, right, okay, this guy's um, changed my life. Like how I've got to do this interview with you is because I worked with a guy in Canada for 20 sessions and um, he had Crohn's disease. And, he recovered from Crohn's disease uh, through working with me. We did other things as well, but and from that we connected, and now I'm here connecting and talking to Dwight. There's the, the kind of full story, really, in many ways. That's well, you, you listeners or people watching, Daniel fits exactly within 
the template mold of what I want give a heck to be, you know, give a heck is about the fact that it doesn't matter what you've gone through in life. It doesn't matter the trials or tribulations. And what I mean by it doesn't matter. It doesn't, you can arise above the noise. You can actually stop being camped in life and climb. And you mentioned Daniel, that this starts from the patterns of our parents, which your parents had that same pattern and, and most parents do. I look at, and, and really what else can we expect from, from our parents? Look at the people that had parents that were in the 1800s. Well, every generation that parents learns a little bit more and they change a little bit more, just like our society changes, how we, how we live life, it continues to evolve. Yeah. So it's our responsibility to break out of that and teach the next generations. Now, not everybody's capable of doing that. As, as you mentioned, um, one of the things I'd like to touch on, though, that I wrote so many notes down here, there's things that I don't even know if I'll get to the other questions because you just you stirred so much up in me. Can you please? I've heard this before. I'd love to have your take on the difference between arrogance and confidence. Okay, so uh, what would what what would be the um, what's the opposite of arrogance? What's the complete antithesis of arrogance? Um, I don't even know what word to say. I guess the opposite for me of arrogance is just you're humble. You're just, you just do things. I've never been asked that question. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily know. There's someone who would be overtly trying to prove their worth and push themselves onto other people. And there are other people who, are, that, that's forcing forward. Yeah. Look at me, look what I've got. Look, who, look what I've achieved. Look what I could do for you. I mean, I hate those kind of coaches, and you know, and I can see them a mile off sometimes. And I'm like, take it, stinky, take it away. Don't like it. Most Um, of them are facade anyway. It's what? Sorry. Most of those coaches are a facade anyway. They they're 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 putting up a nice picture, but behind the picture, it's rotten. They haven't accomplished anything. That's why it's smelly to me. I can smell it. It's rotten. There's something uh, lacking in being genuine, and there's an arrogance that goes with it look what I can do for you, look what I've done, okay, and I'm much draw, more drawn to humility, so, but I, humility, I, so we'll, we'll talk about humility in a sec, so the opposite, you can either force forward, or you can actually force back, and you're forcing yourself back, so it's neither forcing forward or forcing back, so someone who forces themselves back, so I, is, would the word be timid, would the word be, um, uh, someone who's very arrogant, which is trying to prove their worth, someone else who feels that they've got no worth. So you've got one, you've got that perspective. Someone who feels that they, it's a, it, it's a belief that they've got more worth than, and they're trying to prove their worth. And someone, there's the opposite, which people who, who believe that they've got no worth, and then they wouldn't even do anything anyway. So arrogance and whatever this is, uh, a lack of self-belief, a lack of, lack of worth, lack of self-worth, this is an inflated view of worth. This is, this is um, a deflated view of worth. But actually, confidence is somewhere right in the middle, which is like, well, I don't need to, you know, have a trumpet saying, look what I can do. It's just, <laughs> this, is, this is who I am. This is what I do. And, there's a, and that's a confidence. So there's a, there's, and I would say humility would be in the middle of that, that you're humble um, 
I mean, where I am, I feel very privileged. I mean, I really mean that. I feel very privileged doing what I do because you're let in. You must feel this. You've been doing it longer than me. You're let into people's lives. And that makes me feel humble because people tell me things that they have never told anybody before. So that means you, you're creating these beautiful, unique um, relationships. Connection. Oh, the connections are amazing. They're very sacred. The heart, and, mind, the heart, mind, and body connections mm -hmm. that I've in the last 20 years, right. they, keep me, they keep me continuing to have humility and moving forward. And that's, that's, and the reason I feel that we move forward in there is because it's a bit like the car, car of life. Now you can put your foot on the foot on the throttle and move forward that way, or you can put your foot on the brake. So if, if, if life was a car, um, what we have to do is let the car take us there. So the intelligence beyond our intelligence, life, God, the universal, that is whatever we wish to call that actually is it will take us forward and that we don't need to push we don't need to force we just have to be ourselves and the more that we can be ourselves the more that we fall into this very humble um very um uh, rich and i'm i'm going to my heart here um real authentic place that's um alive this feels dead if you're in your head, you're dead. It just feels dead. This this is an aliveness. This is something that's real, and it and it's it's very, uh, it's very tactile. It's very. Um, I want to I want to think rewarding. It's it's rewarding meaning connection, and the connection with people when they become vulnerable. And I we talked about this before I recorded the amount of sessions that I spend with clients without getting paid is because payment isn't always about money. Payment's no. about, about that emotional connection. I, I'm an introvert, but I love people, if that makes sense, right? I, I love in small doses, I love being with people and sitting with my clients and having them share things and them tell me, you know, I've never told anybody this before, or I've never had anybody ask me that question and the emotions run high. And I've got clients that have been my clients since day one that I just had a meeting with one here recently, a couple, she lost her husband a few years ago. He used to be one of my best friends and she's remarried. And she says that, you know, I'm one of the biggest blessings in her life because, and it's, and it's, I'm not saying this for people to I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. It was a feeling that was more rewarding for her, for me to hear from her saying, you know what, you've done this for me. I don't have to fear retirement. I don't have to fear death and what, it, what I'm going to leave. I don't feel fear today. I don't fear tomorrow. And if I do, I know I can reach out to you and we have a conversation and, and, you know, it's, that's to me, a payment. It's a huge payment. I get those warm and fuzzies and people chuckle when I say that I do, I get the warm and fuzzies and I'm floating on a, you know, it's like, it, it's just amazing. And most people are driven. You talked about fear. And one of the things that I teach people, I learned this years ago uh, that I, every time I feel fear, fear and are fearful, and it hasn't always worked, I tell myself fear stands as an acronym for face everything and rise. 
So I'm feeling fearful and I'm feeling things gripping me, whether it's that fear of, of loss, you know, fear of, of living or fear of not having enough money. I need to figure it out. I need to face everything and rise. And sometimes I'm not strong enough to do it even at my age to age, or pardon me, age today. And I have others I can reach out to. And I, I imagine you do too. I'll never stop learning. I'll never stop thinking that I don't need some help and that I could slip. I, even at my age now, I know all these tools and strategies, Daniel, to yeah. get out of, to fight my depression or fight, you know, the past or fight anxiety for the future. But sometimes those, those state changes don't work. So I need to get on the phone with somebody like Daniel and Daniel just listens. He, Daniel and I are connected enough that Daniel knows when he, you know, it's just to listen and go, uh-huh, yeah, that's unfortunate. Or Daniel knows to listen and then give advice. You know what I mean? Having people, you need people like that in your life. It takes a while. And I've gone through a lot. <laughs> if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the value of just um, uh, offering presence is an enormous one. But I also, I, I'm an intervention guy as well. So it's, it's making a shift on the fear. So if the fear is like an eight or a nine out of 10, I'm there to make it uh, lower. Seven, eight, seven, six, five, four. I mean, I, I often, when I'm working with clients, I say, well, write me a piece list. That's a list of things that are bubbling around in your head that you know, you're carrying all the time, which most people have. And we're looking at reducing those, um, the numbers connected to the bullet point statements that people have regarding their uh, their fears and their issues uh, and you bring that down that then becomes measurable uh, it becomes um, uh, something that you can you know say well when I started coaching with this guy these were my issues <laughs> like my goodness these were huge and then at the end of the coaching if, if if it does indeed come to an end some clients have continued to work with me on and off for seven years or more um, that's a good thing though because I think I think connection and realizing that we can always need support if we we think we have arrived i find that myself in the last 20 years when my clients think they've arrived that's when they fall backwards right maybe it's not a month maybe it's a year maybe it's three years later but yeah. if they continue to get you know what's the word i'm looking for you know just get a tune-up if they getting right. get if they get complacent but if they get a tune-up once in a while and they reconnect with with you or myself, those are my most successful clients. Right. Yeah. Right. That they don't it's figure that, that they've ever arrived. It's that can, right. And um, again, I would fall back to um, continuing to nurture and, and develop the inner. And the more that you develop the inner, that the outer becomes better. And so it, it it's, I'm sure for you, like it is me, it's, it's like a garden. It's like, it's continuing to cultivate it, continuing to condition it, which you'd have to do with a garden, which means things to do. And there's a hell of a lot of pruning to be done at times, certain times a year. And uh, things are going to grow, you know, fears are going to arise, which weren't like different fears are in my life at nearly 48 than they were when I was 30. But it's, it's the fears that I've come up, which are to do with like, well, there's not as much time, 12 years, you're going to be 60. So uh, yeah. <laughs> try, yeah, being me, try being me, brother. I'm five yeah, and a half right. years out. <laughs> you're, looking good, you're looking good for it. You're looking good for it. Thank you. But it's also a state of mind. It's a state of mind. So you can be, you, you can be 
60 and you could you can feel significantly younger you could physically be you know some part of me sometimes thinks you know my, my best years are ahead of me because the more that i've expanded my consciousness the better my life's got i love and, that um, and it's uh when you know everything good or everything god whatever we wish to say is on the other side of fear so the more that we keep breaking through um literally that that fear you said the, the acronym um face uh, everything and rise right well you can also say uh, what's the other one i like um false evidence appearing, appearing real. real yeah so they say with nlp that you know the only two things that we're born with are the fear of loud noises and the fear of heights so everything else is learned so patterns it's all mind? patterns it's pattern learning too which is just terrible and, and what I mean by terrible, yes, there's certain pattern learnings listeners that you need to have. This is the way that you do this in life. But but life itself it, it can't be pattern learned because the patterns we're being taught or were ta taught by a generation we talked about a few minutes ago that that didn't have it right yet. <laughs> and, they, and they're still changing that same pattern in the Absolutely. education system, especially 50, 60, 80 years later. And I don't blame yeah. the educators. I blame the governments or the people that control the education system for not pulling their head out of their butt and realizing that things need to evolve and they can't do it at baby steps anymore because right. we got a world that is conditioned to think that this is all that there is. There's right. so much more. There's so much more. I love how you put though, you know, you're going to continue your consciousness is going to continue to expand as you get older, things are better. That's how me too. I feel I feel so much better in my 50s than I did in my 30s and 40s. Not to say there weren't some good things that went on, right? Five kids. Yeah. <laughs> but there's uh, also a lot of things that go on with five kids as well. Yes. But, you know, the expansion of my consciousness and the ability for me to internalize as you talk about, you specialize on the inner you before your external you can feel good. I work on that till the day I die. Like I'm in the middle of, of uh, listen, I listen to books more than I do read now. Um, Napoleon Hill's outwitting the devil. Oh my gosh. I don't know if you've had a chance to. I haven't. No. Oh, oh, I wish I, I would have done it years ago. Really? I'm about three, two thirds of the way through it. It's the most impactful book that I've ever listened to where somebody plays both sides of the, of the, of the field. Cause it's narrated with two different people. So the devil's okay. narrated and you have, Napoleon Hill's side narrated by somebody because the book was written in 1938. It was only released in 2016, right? It's just, it was, this was this one of his undiscovered books? Yes. His family, he didn't release it. And if he would have at the time, he probably would have been lynched. Right. Um, but it literally talks about spirituality, talks right. about God. He, he, you know, you kind of, and then Sharon Lecter, if you know who Sharon Lecter is, Sharon Lecter, um, she trying to think of the books that she, she's a famous author you'd have to look her up but she narrates in between okay of the devil and him communicating napoleon hill and okay. it, it just oh my gosh is he, is is he, i'm stabbing the duck I've, I've i've got the i think it's the power of positive thinking with napoleon yeah. hill which i agree to a certain degree but it's kind of a smear over top of a load of unconscious stuff but i i, I appreciate what the work that he did in this lifetime um it's the most it's the best book i've ever consumed really? this. the best the, the rest the rest have a lot of surface stuff and a lot of devil, pardon me go on the devil i i often if i'm ever working with people um 
I often talk about the, it's more that the more it's more the devil within, not the devil outside. The devil's going to get it's the devil within, and it's like that's exactly what he talks about. He ties it to education. He ties right. it to governments. He ties right. it to in our, our internal six inches. That's why I'm. I, I was listening to it and going, "This can't be Napoleon Hill," because <laughs> I, right. you know, very, this, very this it, it's very. But I can see why he didn't publish it. Fascinating. Right? Well, but anyway, I'm, check it out. But anyway, he talks about a lot of good things. There's so much, you know. Again, as a side note, listeners, best way to learn things is from a book. But most people don't crack the, the spine and open it or listen to it or whatever to to get that knowledge and always realize what you read. And as Daniel mentioned, not everything in Napoleon Hills is phen phenomenal. It's just like surface level. We're on the top of the lake. He doesn't dive deep. That right. book, he dives deep, in my opinion. But we'll we'll move on from there. Can um, I very, share something with you very, very briefly? Sure. Absolutely. Of course. So, devil, devil, head, sort of yeah. like you think. Reverse the word devil. What, what does it say? Lived. Right. So if you then have lived a great life when you come to the end of your life, because you've really lived it and it, you've lived it from your heart, you've done something and it's about man. I talk about manifesting your wishes. So I make a peace list. We're working on a peace list to all the things that you need to make peace of in life. And then I say, make a second list of all the things that you would love to do in your life which is about manifesting a life that you wish to experience, which then comes from your heart. Now, if you think, how, how does the devil struggle when you're working towards the manifestation of a life that you would wish to experience? And then when you get to the end of your life, you go, well, I really lived it. So think about he can't, he can't survive, though. And Napoleon Hill talks about that in his books. He talks about drifters. Um, right. He talks about... Um, I can't even think of the phrase he uses, like a hypnotic compliance. And right. it's just, trust me, listeners, and even Daniel, he, you'll, I can't stop listening to it. I get into my vehicle and I start going somewhere, I'm listening to it. I get into the shower, I have my speaker, I'm listening to it. It's just outwitting the devil. Um, it's just, it, it's one of the most profound books that I've read of truth. Mm hmm that was written in 1938. It's just like, yeah. whoa, yeah. You, you know, like, oh my gosh. But you know what, what it tells me though, is like anybody, we're fearful. Napoleon Hill was probably fearful of, even though he may not have seemed it, fearful of his peers, fearful of society and those around him by speaking the truth. Right. right? And am I saying a hundred percent of it's truth? No. I'm, some of it I question or rewind and listen to it again and go, hmm. I can see some truth in that, but I don't necessarily agree with that. But, but that's life, though. We have choices and decisions, but we can't yeah. have choices and decisions if we don't feed things into our computer brain, right? Which doesn't know the difference between the truth and the lies. So give our brain more, more opportunities and then associations with great people like you. Like, oh, my gosh, the notes I've taken here. But one of the things I want to get jump into here before we do run out of time, you do the EFT, NLP, the life coaching, the clinical hypnotherapy, the Enneagram, and all these things that you do for clients, they all have purposes, obviously. However, I imagine each person's circumstances are unique. 
how do you decide which is going to be utilized or do you utilize combinations of all of it and, and feel free to explain what they are as well like i know what they are but you know you can whatever you decide to talk about explain what it is please well i just work intuitively and uh, i never treat um a label whatever that you know someone has, has got um i treat a human being i think i learned that from a, a quote that said i it was a doctor and he I, I, a famous doctor or something. I never treat a disease, I treat the person. And so I work intuitively. So each one of those tools is there to do two things, which is to master your emotional well-being, which is how you feel. And the other one is about mastering your psychology, which is about how you think. So there's, there's two things that run within all human beings, which are thoughts and feelings. And thoughts can be very negative and limiting and cause us suffering, but so can feelings. So it's just knowing what is going on with someone. I suppose it's a bit like if you're a if you're building a house, you know, you don't just turn up with one tool. You're going to turn up with a van with a whole load of stuff, and you could use five or six tools in order to be able to, you know get the job done and some people will go well i'll use this tool because this is my tool i really enjoy using this tool um my nature is one of a i think you and i have a similar personality to to be honest very similar um which means but i think we're both enneagram type sixes probably with a five wing i can get into that a little bit deeper because the enneagram is one tool that i really love and, and i have used um, a lot i'd love um, that sure Okay, so uh, shall we go and do that intuitively? Yes, we shall. All right, so, um, <laughs> uh, so the Enneagram is something that helps with psychology and with thoughts and our thinking. So it's very spiritual. A hundred years ago and more, uh, really, if you knew really about the Enneagram, you would most likely be a monk or a nun because uh, it was very holy, very sacred. Um, it was brought into more... Uh, modern psychology uh, throughout the uh, 20th century uh, by varying um, people who contributed to it. And Ennea uh, means nine, gram means graph. So it's a graph of nine types that moves. We can all do one of these nine types. We, sorry, forgive me. We all do one of these nine uh, personality types um, and have been doing um in my belief system and awareness through um, as, as young as we can remember. I think it's the soul coat that we are born into. It's the coat around our soul that we're born into. Um, but uh, we can do all of these nine personalities. There are nine um, ways of being in the world, nine ways of thinking, nine uh, different perspectives on life and nine different values. So we all have strengths and weaknesses within our personality. Um, I'd say you're a fellow, fellow security type like me. Uh, I think security has been um, a running theme throughout your entire life, right from childhood, like it was for me. Um, you're a thinker, you're a questioner, and you're someone who um, has wanted to master your mind. You've wanted to understand your mind better and you've, you've got to where you are through the inner work that you've done. So I, I sense the, your questioning nature and you've got an analytical nature. So um, if you're a six like me, it's bang in the middle of need for security and the need to um, question life and question things. 
uh, which you can do positively or you can do negatively. Uh, and it's we're or we all have these personalities for our survival. So you can be a love and approval type or you could be a control type. And that's just the, the cloak that you were born into. Your the level of dysfunction that you experienced in your childhood is going to determine how unhealthy you are within your personality because each have strengths and weaknesses. So if you're a six like me, we can exemplify courage and commitment or we can struggle with anxiety and rebelliousness. Yep. <laughs> Got him. Uh, and it's like, you know, it, it, I it recognize kind of those traits. If you're a five, I think you've also got a five wing. So I think you're more six with a five wing like I am. And the five can um, be visionary and inventive or be held back by... Um, isolation and in fact is, is trauma any part of that yeah it's, well the thing is is we're talking about trauma and conditioning and yeah. you, even conditioning you could you could sum up as being um as mini traumas that are you know a, a whole life of you know we don't do that in this family like we don't do that well, that's yeah. not trauma yeah. but if over time it, it could be a little trauma you could you know it stacks up to being conditioning from repetition so from yeah, repetition yeah right conditioning and trauma it's just it just becomes like some families don't uh don't hug for example you know we just don't do touching and then that guy then gets to be finds the love of his life and he sits on one sofa and she sits on the other and you're like you know and she's like doesn't he doesn't he love me he just doesn't do hugs. Just doesn't sounds, do... sounds like the five, sounds like they need to read the book, The Five Love Languages, too. That's a good book know. by Gary Chapman. Absolutely. But they might meet their love languages in different ways where they both might be quality time and their, their, their need for physical touch is not as high. And then they meet they meet their, their love. But you're language. saying the physical touch, though, could have been part of their condition. Yeah, their condition, yeah. their pattern yeah. teaching. Yeah. Right. Uh, I've got my book out here. So uh, sure. the the um, the negative part of the five can become increasingly eccentric and isolated. So I think you're probably a six with a five wing like I am, and we're called the defender. So we kind of uh, we we if you're watching two teams play whatever sport it is, and you're you're impartial, like you don't it's not you your team isn't playing. Do you tend to go for the underdog? He's meant to say, uh, viewers and listeners, he's meant to say yes right yeah. now. But, uh, I, I, I'm one of those people, I don't want to give the wrong answer, but yes, I do okay. cheer oh, for, no I do, I'm, just no being, I'm just being honest with you. I do cheer for the underdog, so. I do, I, right? I, 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 because we're called the defender. It's, it's almost a part of our nature. But I do that, I do that even in discussions. Yeah, no, there could sure. be a group. There, it could be yeah. a group of people, and they could have two different sides of an argument. And I'm I'm rooting for the defender, or put me on. I'm rooting for the person that's the underdog, even if they're wrong. Sometimes I'm not necessarily right. vocalizing it, but I'm thinking inside. I want them to win because right. I'm. I don't. I find people that are dominant in a sport or dominant in that conversation. I find them to be, it's a bullying thing for me. It's right. like they're trying to exert their dominance yeah. and I yeah. want the underdog to win. So that, I don't know thing. if that answers it. We, we absolutely, we tend to be drawn to, to that stance because we wouldn't like to be put in that stance ourselves. And so we can be naturally drawn by our, uh, our personality to, um, 
to those individuals because you know we'd like we wouldn't have liked that to happen to us so anyway there are strengths and weaknesses and like with personality it's like um we're only with like anything in life you're only as strong as your weakest link so the enneagram helps to work out what our personality is uh and what our uh, values are um and it helps to strengthen it because it with the value that like you and i would value loyalty we would value big term we would value commitment we would value someone that whether we're married to this person whether we're in business with this person uh, or whether they're just a friend but we would value that they are honest we would value heavily value that we're they're honest because it what our ego is attempting to do all the time is protect ourselves from worst case scenarios and so it'll question everything to the point of is this going to bring me a worst case scenario today is this going to bring how exactly is this going to bring me a worst case scenario um and it's a survival instinct. So if we were in a clan of people and suddenly we see something distant on the horizon that's slightly different, no one else notices it in the clan, but we do. We're like the meerkat. You know, the meerkats are like this. It's like there's no danger at all, but the meerkat's still doing this. Well, it's a survival instinct inside of us. And um, it, it helps that the, the clan will survive by someone looking for the danger the potential danger. So it's inbuilt in us for our survival. And how humanity has got to be in this place is because we've all got these individual roles. That's our role. We, you could say we're like the meerkats of life. And, you know, uh, and, but we're the meerkat for the whole clan. Other people who are love and approval types, um, they equally are good for the clan, for, the, for, for everyone to survive. And so are the control types as well. So God, life, the universe, all that is, whatever we wish to call that, has created these nine personalities, interesting, the magic number of nine, and it's three personalities around three needs, needs of the ego that then creates this, um, this consciousness, nine individual states of consciousness. We can go even deeper into that and say, this, of course, there's not just nine, but effectively, in a simplistic term, there are which creates the sum of the whole like we all need one another we all have unique gifts we all have unique values and the only way we've got to this point in history is by having all of these individual values we value being safe that's the value that's the top value we wish to be safe we want to be safe and as a result of that we've got to this place exactly Exactly in this place. So the the what you how we strengthen the weak links of that is that sixes are the most disassociated from their intuition. Naturally, the most disassociated. So what we have to do is learn to trust our gut. We have to learn to trust our intuition. And why it's so hard with everybody, some people it's easier, but with our type, it's pretty hard. But why it's hard in general is the mind. Uh, has about 80 to 100 billion neurons and it's working like this all the time speaking always got you know there's always something going on um the gut 
only has about 100 million neurons. Well, people might go, well, that's all good. That's plenty of neurons, 100 million neurons. Well, let's break that down. So let's call it 100 billion. So what percentage wise is 100 million to 100 billion? 10. No, it's less than that. I'm not even thinking. Anyway, go on. Continue 100 on billion. You're thinking 1 billion. 100 billion. Yep. It's actually 0.1%. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I misunderstood, yeah. It, it, it's quite easy because people think, oh, that's a lot. If I give you $100 billion right now, you go, oh, thanks very much, Daniel. It's very nice. I'll, I'll carry on doing what I'm doing now. Um, and then I gave you $100 million, It's sort of like, well, that's still a lot, but it's actually, it's only 1,000. You need a thousand, another 999 more 100 millions to make 100 billion. So it's it's very small. So that's that's the gut. So it's it's very small in comparison to this. The heart apparently has about forty thousand neurons. So again, that would be hard. Why it's hard for most people to follow their heart and do what their heart says and and manifest your wishes, which is what I talk about. Come from this. This is love. And I think the more and so goodness knows what that is in a percentage. If that's a hundred million and zero point one percent. Then I haven't worked out what 40,000 is, but it's going to be 0.000 goodness. Knows yeah, what. exactly. It's very small, but it is a state of consciousness and it does exist. This is when people who are terminally ill will talk about, oh, I'm, I'm going to go and do all this stuff that I really should have done throughout my lifetime. And it's only now that I'm dying or I've been given a terminal diagnosis, am I going to go and do my bucket list? Um, their, regrets, their regrets come first front to their lives at that point absolutely and all the limitation on what am i and do you know what it does it breaks through so much of that conditioning which is like and all the patterns because well actually i can't carry on with my patterns anymore because they're not going to get me to this place of survival that's what patterns are there for we have a pat you if you are if you go to a brand new door that you've never seen before do you go oh i don't have to open this i've never seen this door before your patterns are there to go because the beliefs are generalizations, distortions and deletions that go, well, there's going to be a button. There's going to be something. I've got to push it, slide it, pull it. We know roughly we're going to know, we know not to headbutt it, although some people have just walked through plate glass doors. But we, <laughs> that's what a pattern is there. There's a, our unconscious has some kind of pattern to go to a door. It's the same with communicating. I didn't know you before this um, conversation. But I had enough patterns to know about my subject, to know about relating to what we're talking about. Uh, there's enough patterns there that help me to then have a conversation with you that's going to be nurturing for both and those people who can listen. It, there, are, there, there are good patterns that we, and we need patterns, but it's the limiting patterns. And it's where we've experienced conditioning or trauma, which 90% of us have, which then cause the problems in our life. Mm -hmm. We're not then free. We don't feel safe enough. We don't feel loved enough. And we don't feel that we can speak our truth. We don't feel that we can express ourselves. So the people who, who do that um, have better lives. And it's not about having more money. It's the fact that they just, they're more free to follow their heart's desire. They're more free to follow their wishes. And when we do that, that's where I think real abundance is. I don't think abundance is about money. I think abundance is 
um, feeling free to follow your heart's desire and trusting that life will support you in doing that. And well, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, your heart's desire and it's not about money. I've, in order for that to, for me to be successful, I got to make sure that the people I associate with and the things I associate with are, are solid. And so many of us want to do our heart's desires. And what do we have? We have people with that, that have other forms of patterns or other Enneagram ratings that are pulling us back. <laughs> Don't you find that that's a big problem in today's society? People that you, that you deal with that are not necessarily having the proper association so they they want to lead their heart's desire but they have people telling them well that's dumb that's stupid or not necessarily always verbally maybe it's body language they pick up on nonverbal cues and yes. I, f I find myself that's a huge problem or at least i think it is yes but it, it would it would go deeper into your heart's desire about so are you enjoying spending time around these people that are reinforcing old conditions and old patterns. It's then a wish to be around people that inspire you, support you, love you, um, uh, encourage you to follow your heart's desires. People who are preventing you from doing that by their words um, are not being nasty people. They just stuck in their own patterns and limitations and they love you enough to tell you these negative things because they don't want you to fall at the first hurdle and they don't want you to experience pain because Everybody has this inside of them where they have a wish, a dream, something, and they probably take action, move forward, and then they fall at the first, second, third hurdle or something, and then, oh, well, I couldn't do it. I gave up. Of course, they're, they're not doing it intentional, and I completely agree. But when is the time that, you, that people need to realize? Like, I know I, when I talk and coach people on this, like, you need to have that realization that that person's isn't intentionally trying to hurt you. They're giving you their information. They're trying to protect or be, in, but if you constantly are looking for validation for that person or there was a group of people and you have different desires and dreams and it doesn't feel good in here, that's a huge indicator that you need to learn how to disassociate with them either completely or, you know, learn to listen to what they have to say and take it like they say with a grain of salt. But equally, it's an opportunity to go back here, this thing. And work on you, yes. Work on you where you have intuition and it will speak to all of us. The only way I've got to this place, which I sometimes think, how the hell did I get here? I really think, I'm sure Pick you me. did. Pick how me. did I get here? How did <laughs> yeah. I get? And I got here on the other consciousness that existed inside of me than just this just the 80 to 100 billion so it's back to that neurons in your heart starting to learn how to tune into them better i would say i would say uh i would even add to that um the, the the heart the gut and even something like higher self it's something an intelligence beyond my intelligence guided me along this path this is what i'm meant to do i might still question it at times but this is what i'm meant to do and there's a certainty with that um, so so what's your take on something since we're, you know, you talked about your, your gut, your heart, your gut and the higher consciousness. What's your take on stuff like the secret? I would love uh, to know what your thoughts are on, on manifestation just by talking and thinking about it. Yeah. That, uh, like attracts like, um, what did my meditation teacher tell me all many years ago. Um, 
energy flows where attention goes. So absolutely. Um, again, well, where you've got to and where I've got to has come by a thought first. And, and it's, it's manifested because there was an initial thought to become this person who, and, and even this interview, the subject of this interview or whatever, every, everything comes by a thought first. So it's, I'm gonna say, I will say it, it's actually written in the Bible. I'm not Christian, but I've actually found the quote. It's the only quote that I know in the Bible, which is Mark chapter 11, verse 24. And it's, it's about prayer. And it says, and Jesus says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it and it will be yours. Well, I remember thinking, well, isn't that similar to what the Native American Indians are doing with the rain dance? Because the rain's not there, but they're believing that they have received it. They're actually, it's dry as a bone. And they're there sort of like, you know, celebrating that the rain is in the village. Well, that, that's the same. And when I was studying NLP and hypnosis, what do we do? Well, we do something called um, future pacing, which means you take yourself unconsciously into the future where you're now healed, where you are now having the confidence to be able to do the things that you once didn't do, where you are now in a place where you are free of your addictions, where you can see, feel and hear your reality as you, what I would say, wish to now experience it. So your unconscious is building up the neural pathways to the reality that you wish to experience so that as you get closer to it, the brain thinks that it's real, it's already happened, which is a fascinating thing. The brain does the difference between what's real and what's not real. Absolutely. Very, very quick one. Everybody close their eyes. Yes, you have a lemon in your fridge. Go to that fridge, open the fridge door, get out that lovely knife. Everyone's got a lovely knife that's very sharp. Put it on the board, cut it, dice it into quarters, dice it into a segment now where you can imagine that you're gonna eat it. Oh, that's right, it's gonna go right in your mouth. Imagine taking a segment and getting that lemon and having a really good bite on it. That's it. Now put that one down and have another one. Imagine doing that. Right, everybody, open your eyes. Do you have more saliva in your mouth? Majority of you will do. It wasn't real. The brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's not real. So the more that we do these things over and over in our mind, that the mind then believes that it's actually happened. So we, is it, someone said to me, is it um, fake it before you make it? Mm, I don't I, think so. I don't like that term because- it's, I don't either. Is it fake? Now the saliva's there, it's still in my mouth. You know, I haven't eaten a lemon or unconscious. I do this every time myself. And like, and I tell people, and I imagine eating the lemon and my unconscious goes, oh, right, a lemon's coming in the mouth right now. It doesn't question whether it's well, real. Well, because like you mentioned, like, and I tell people, I use different words, but I tell people this all the time, that your brain doesn't know the difference between the truth and the lie. Mm -hmm. You're, you make the choice what information goes into it. So, you know, you talked about the fact of, I brought up the secret. So right. I believe that you can talk about that stuff but the thing that the people don't understand and focus enough along that process there has to be action so you can think to yourself this is where i want to go here's my goal so when i goal set with somebody and they tell me this is where i want to go and we visualize what's what would that be like for you and i talk to them about that and they tell me well this is how it would feel they, it, that gets some excitement it gives them energy 
and you know whatever you want to call it endorphin hit so that they are willing to now take place what i set down this is the actions you need to start taking to get there right. so it's fine to imagine this is your end result you wanted the lemon but you're never going to no. truly have that feeling in your mouth until you go to the store buy the lemon and go and cut it up into quarters yeah, put it. Absolutely. so things. so that's one of the things i find is a big weakness with people that coach about the secret or things to that similar to that nature they they don't talk about you know and i have people say oh i can just manifest this i have somebody just recently oh i'm going to manifest winning this trip and i okay. go well okay what are you going to do what what process are you doing to get that trip oh i'm just going to win it well then it's then it's pure luck then because i don't believe in luck per se right but if you buy a lottery ticket or you buy a ticket to win that trip, that is pure luck. If there's a million people buying tickets, you're just, yeah. if somebody pulls your number, that's luck, but that's yeah. not manifestation. I'm telling me, I want, I'm going to win this trip and because I'm saying that they're going to pull my number. No, that's not how, in my opinion, that's not how it works. Well, well yeah, because I, I, I question this with someone else as much as how many think, how many people get afraid when they're on a plane? So you'd have all the negative consciousness of people being afraid that that every plane should then crash. Absolutely. Talking about the manifestation of that, because they would be putting energy into that. So it, it's not quite like that, but certainly the more positive you think and feel, the more chance you've got of the manifestation. Oh, of that. absolutely. So, it's one, it's a step that you need definitely. along the journey of success to get to what you want to achieve. Absolutely. I just, it frustrates me how many coaches or people are just, that'll tell me though well you can manifest just by visualizing yeah, that, talking writing it down whatever absolutely and the reason that would work in coaching is because it's for me it's lazy and it's and it's it's not based on enough truth for me it's just to say that's that's one part of it thank you yes that's that's what it's, i want that's why i wanted your take on it i love this conversation <laughs> right, there we go. It, 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 it's very basic isn't it it's like you know well if that well brilliant that's all you have to do well why would you even need to see a coach for that then yeah. that's all you've got to do you know, this, why wouldn't we have more success around the world right, <laughs> right? Yeah. so it's one part of it in fact i like um uh, i like the um I like what I call the, uh, the, the ultimate four-step success formula, which is number one, clearly decide what you want or what I say, I like using wish rather than I want. So I'd say clearly decide what you wish. Number two, then take action. And number three, notice if you're nearer or further away. And then step four is if you're further away, you change your approach. Now that's, that's different than all your, if you're just saying step one, which is decide what you wish to experience and just keep giving energy to that, keep giving energy to that. Well, yeah, but you've still got to take action to move towards that. If it is a lottery, then you've got to buy lottery tickets. But I would be questioning why you're just focusing on trying to make money that way. If you really think money, that a huge amount of money is going to make you happy, then great. Good luck to you. But um earning money in a way that has meaning or has um, a benefit to your life and, and others, uh, just a way that um, a, a more spiritual take on it really on, on your whole purpose in life, rather than just having a bunch of money and then you're spending and buying all these things that you want to buy, as opposed to um, designing what I call designer life you wish to experience. And so that's, that we 
Dwight and I talked for about 10 or 15 minutes before you hit record, and that was about um, creating meaning in life. It's about doing something that, that, that creates meaning. And that uh, I was telling you about the four, four table legs of, of happiness that create happiness. So the first one is um, pleasure. So people wanting to win a big lottery thing is like, great, because then I'll have all this money and I'll be able to buy all these things that will give me pleasure. Brilliant. Great. Congratulations. All the rest. Well, yeah, but that doesn't make people happy. We know that because we only have to look at people who've had addictions. What are they doing? They're doing the same thing over and over and over. Drugs, work, sex, bloody bloody while whatever it is, over and over and over, and I'm not happy anymore. But I'll do it again because you're trying to create happiness from one table leg. You're trying to create a table from one tape from one leg. You need to have the other things in life. So the other table leg is satisfaction to do things that are challenging. When you do that, whether that's working out physically or you're doing something psychologically or emotionally, you are then challenging yourself. And when you achieve whatever it is that your outcome is, it gives you a sense of well-being. It get, makes you feel good. It raises serotonin it um or it gives you um, a greater um it gives you self-worth gives you confidence and it creates happiness it's another table leg of happiness there are people in my town who go out just picking up litter not for the council not for anything else other than purely that feeling of satisfaction i've done it when i've been in nature myself and i look at we you'd call it trash we say litter and you'd see litter and it would be around and you know I don't go, oh, who's done this? I just pick it up, put it in my bag and it's done. And then I can either recycle it or throw it away. Why? It makes me feel good. I feel a sense of satisfaction. It might be there tomorrow, but there's, you know, by someone else throwing it away, but it's one less than it was that day. You're it's making a, di it's your own little difference. It makes a difference. Right? And it creates Absolutely. a feeling of satisfaction. It creates happiness. There's another thing, another table leg, which is about meaning. And this is something that goes beyond you. It, it, it's about you and life and being entwined. You are life and you're entwined with it. And like how I got to this place, you know, I sometimes just say, how did I not die? It's a miracle I'm here. And here I am doing this thing now. And it's really hard to integrate back into life when you've done something like that, because I can't join into com meaningless conversations. There's so much of my life which is about meaning, creating meaning, doing, you know, experiencing meaning. I have a passion for cars. I've bought a Ferrari replica. There's something that I still really enjoy um, doing, you know, and experiencing life. But that's one part of happiness. That's not entire pleasure. One of the greatest things that I've got is actually meeting other car owners and talking about cars and it's expanded my consciousness but it's further. all about relationships it's, it's connecting relationships. the human condition and connecting with others beautiful thing, not about right? the car no i've i've met people with two i met a guy who's got two real ferraris he's got an old rolls royce he's got a 1929 bugatti which which is probably worth just under a million pounds and i got to spend two or three hours in talking about it i that wouldn't have happened and it was the relationship it was a six as well like us i could tell his personality type so it was like no photos and no posts on social media. I went, that's a security type. And he was a talker as well. He's a good guy. Um, but it, just those experiences that it, 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 it's a, an expansion of consciousness just leads. It's like an unfolding of one thing to the next and one thing to the next. It's not, it's not, uh, 
this route, which I know it wasn't for you, it is for nobody. It's not, well, this is where I want to get to. Well, great, fantastic. But you're going to have to navigate through all of these pitfalls in order to get there. And those are physical pitfalls in the world. One, one might be like you talked about earlier, uh, which was about money. People have, um, they might not have much money or they have poor um poor conditioning about money but those are the challenges as well so you know you've got the inner challenge which is your unconscious stuff and the, the conditioning that you've got and you've got the outer challenge which is in the outer world and we have to learn to master both we have to learn to be able to deal with both life is about challenge it's not about getting rid it's not about okay i want to win the lottery why because i'll have no more challenges really go into youtube and put up people who win the lottery and it causes them pain People have died. People have, goodness knows, they've lost it all. They've um, they've yeah. killed themselves. Um, oh my goodness! Or it's if money was that if that's if money was that wonderful in as much as there's nothing bad about it, but um, it it but it's the love for money. It, it, it there's nothing about wrong about manifesting it in, but it's not going to solve everything. You've had clients like I've had clients that are worth millions and they have the same problems as ever, as other people who don't have much money, just they've got extra noughts on their bank account. Same problems with relationships, same problems with sleep, same problems with beliefs about themselves, beliefs about the world, limitations. With nutrition, with exercise, all of it. It's just at a higher level. It's at a higher level because they have more money. Uh, and sometimes the problems that they face <coughs> bigger problems because the money has got them into bigger, bigger issues. You know, lending people, lending money to people, other people coming after them because they've got more money. Just different challenges, and so it has to start with us. Has you have to keep coming back home, home, and this is home. You have to get the home in order as best you can, and and then let go. And the more I've done that with my life. I, I, I feel like abundance is this, is this just, um, I mean, if I live to 90, I'm here for less than 33,000 days. So abundance, what is abundance? Abundance is the belief that the universe will provide. Religious terms, that's God will provide, the universe will provide. And that's the, the provide for the manifestation of what you wish to do here on planet earth in this vessel in this soul with this enneagram jacket that we've got around each other you know we've got around ourselves what are we going to do what are we going to do with this thing called life yeah. um, and and there are some people who've done amazing things and they leave legacies and they you know they've helped to shift and change consciousness and other people where it's only been focused on themselves about getting what they want and you know great good luck to them but i think the way to lead a really happy life to have the pleasure along with the meaning and the satisfaction will lead to the fourth table leg which is contentment contentment and contentment is where you're not wanting for anything you're not wanting for security you're not wanting for money and it doesn't mean that you don't then not allow it into your life but it's the, it's, it's the forcing of things, the, the longing, the craving. I want, I call it like the Enneagram, I simplify in as much as I say that we all have what I call a want get be mind, a mind that cannot be. It's wanting something and it's addicted to wanting. I want security. 
I want love and I want to be in control. And that's all of the nine personality types. And that's the universe or that's, that's humanity on planet Earth in summary. And that's why we have the problems that are on uh, planet Earth. They're all man-made, all caused by ego, all the problems, all the wars, all of the lack. It's all from ego. Wealth is imp- uh, disproportionately shared throughout um, planet Earth in, in a crazy disproportionate way. I think it's something like 97% of the world's wealth is shared amongst 3% of the population. And so we, we live these challenging lives. The majority of us have challenging lives. And if, you, if you're fortunate enough to be born into money, there's challenge with that as well. There's responsibility and conditioning that goes with it, whether you're royal or whether you're just someone who's been born into a lot of money, just the, the expectations from your parents. So none of us gets away. We all have our own challenges. Whether you're born a beautiful woman, I've worked with the most incredibly beautiful women who are completely screwed up because being born beautiful was a curse because no one takes them seriously. No one's really challenged them enough in life where you know, they've, had some, they've had enough adversity to build... Um, it sounds terrible to build a real personality to build something that's meaningful but some women do have that and if you meet them and they're outwardly beautiful and they've they've got that as well but the real beauty has to come from within and it has to come from the internal that which is we're enough that we're we're loved we're 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 all one them a race to get here like it's not a race but like that we were the sperm that met the egg. We've, we're, we're a miracle, every single one of us. Whether we're born with a disability, whether we're born into poverty, whether we're born with a silver spoon in our mouth, we've, we're all here, we've all, we've all been through something and that's the race of life and we've won, we're here, we're getting to experience this thing and we don't know how long we're here for. No, so, there's no uh, promise tomorrow. There's de- definitely, I love everything you had to say. Um, I'd mentioned earlier, I think before we started recording, I think you and I are going to have to have another episode. Oh, cool. <laughs> so we're we're going to have, yeah, we're going to have to uh, wrap this up. But amazing listeners, I don't know if you're a type of person that listens or watches the podcast, get an old pad and start taking some notes and reach out to Daniel because that's my next question. I want to, res- you know, time's almost up. I want to respect our listeners and your time. Before we end, can you please tell the listeners what's the best way to reach you to get all that amazing support that you only touch the surface of? Okay, thank you for saying that, Dwight. Um, Put Daniel Hill EFT or Daniel Hill Coaching into Google. For that, I'm going to come up on YouTube. Uh, My website will come up, which is www.danielhill.biz. I've just joined TikTok. I'm doing, I'm I'm on Instagram and what else? I think you probably find some Twitter stuff on there, which I don't usually do now anymore. But um, I've got loads of content because I've been doing this for 10 years or so. I think my, my YouTube channel is 10 years old now. So um, there's just lots and lots of contact. With that, you'll find a way of being able to connect with me, which will click on a link, which a Calendly link, which is an online calendar, and you'll find a way of being able to connect to me for half an hour to have a chat with me if you feel like I'm somebody who you'd like to work with you know and i do various coaching packages and i work all over the world and have been doing so for 
well, I've actually, I started this in 2006, so it's now 16 years, but you said you're 20, so that makes me feel like a baby. So. <laughs> I started in 2002, so yeah. yeah. 2002, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you, my friend. This has been amazing. Um, listeners, this is another reason I've said it before why I love podcasting so much. I actually get more out of it, I think, than the listeners do, because <laughs> I, I, I'm the captain. I captain what information I want to find out about and then I get great conversations where I don't have to do a lot of work it just the knowledge and the caring and compassion from you coming across the information that you've shared is amazing and touching and I talked to you earlier about getting that fuzzy warm feeling before we start recording I got that so thank you so much I we will stay in touch so thanks so much for being on give a heck Daniel I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others too can learn it is never too late to give a heck thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to give a heck If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, Together, let us all strive to give a heck.